When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshman. And I'm Eben Novi Williams, and this is the most valuable franchise in the world sports business podcast, The Sportacast. Not the Scott is back, not the welcome, (laughs) nice to have you, not the Jacob Feldman, Wally Pip, nothing, nothing. How was the vacation, Scott? Well, you know, it's never really a vacation. As you know, I I think I spoke with you several times as well as many other members of the staff. You did. Uh, Yeah. The the, the one time I didn't take the phone was the parasailing. Although that was like, you know, we probably could have as long as you're taking the risk if you drop it. But if you put a little wrist strap on there, you're fine. How was your, have you parasailed before? I know the the barrier to entry is, uh, is a little high. No, in all of my years or whatever, you know, Miami's or wherever. No, I've never done it. And you know, I went with my son. He was pretty funny. He's like, oh, I thought we'd be going fast. <laughs> it, maybe I'm actually confused. Parasailing is when you get pulled by the boat. Yeah. Wait, oh, but you I go, was oh, you know, the parachute is behind you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah windsurfing, yeah. you go much faster. Yeah, yeah parasailing, you just kind of go up and you sit there and you look from a height. And you're like, okay. <laughs> I yeah, thought we'd go, go much faster. That's yeah, he's like, I thought we'd go much faster. All right, so maybe you wanted to do windsurfing or maybe he'd prefer jet skiing or something else. Noted for the next time if and when I ever take him anywhere, because I'm just exhausted. You know, he will stay in the waves for five hours and I'm getting crushed and tired. No, just another 30 minutes. Like, no, I'm dying. I got to get <laughs> But we did have a little sports fun also. So we did two two sports events. Okay. Uh, we went to the University of Virginia, University of Miami baseball game. Okay. Yeah. Which was good. Good flair. Good good crowd. Uh, let's see if you can name the uh, the football coach at Miami. You know the new football coach at Miami? Uh, it's no longer Mario Cristobal. <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, it's not Dennis Erickson. I do uh, not know. It's not Jimmy yeah. Johnson. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know either, but he was there making his first appearance at the stadium. So they What's his name? Him. I have no idea. Oh. He, got, he got a nice round of applause. <laughs> okay. you know, hey, the football coach is here. That's nice. But apparently, like, I, I looked up quickly. Jackson was like, are these good teams? So I looked up the rankings. Virginia was three and Miami was eight. Okay. So I'm like, yeah, this is as good as it gets. This is top division one baseball. It's always fun, by the way. Sitting right in front of us was the the parents of the catcher from Miami. Mm-hmm. So that's always fun to see, you know, parents reacting. Like the kid got two hits, and they were all excited. That was fun. And then we also took in the Anaheim Mighty Ducks Florida Panthers game, mainly because you know my son's hockey program is the Mid Fairfield program, and had a couple of alums, Trevor Zegers, Trevor Zegers, right? yeah. and Spencer Knight, another goaltender. Mm-hmm. So Spencer did not play. It was Bobrovsky, uh, Bobrovsky, but. Um, great game by Gibson. He made like 55 saves or something and the uh, Panthers won in overtime. So, and by the way, in case I don't want anybody to make the same mistake I made that the Panthers arena, FLA live, not all that close to South beach. <laughs> <laughs> so when you have a 7 a.m. flight and you go to a game in an arena, that's not all that close to South beach. You know what that means. There you go. All right. Now get to the, the most valuable franchise. <laughs> Sorry, it's not the Florida Panthers and it's not Miami baseball. It is but we are not. talking. We do have we do have a connection though. We can if we want to stay in Miami. Who recently left the Miami Marlins? Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter, number two. 
Of course, he played for who for his entire career? Uh, the New York Yankees, Scott. The New York Yankees, correct. So now, why don't you? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, yeah, they, I gave you two really easy ones. Now, why don't you explain why we're talking about most valuable uh, and the work of one Kurt Bodenhausen? Always one of my favorite dates at Sportico, Scott. When we drop a new valuations list, and Kurt uh, on Thursday dropped Major League Baseball latest in the wake of the lawsuit of the of the lockout as the new season starts. The New York Yankees are now worth over seven billion dollars. Scott, uh, amazing to hear that. Whoa, 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 whoa! What numbers are you looking at? What do you mean? Not over seven or are over they, seven they, billion. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong with myself. <laughs> so is the Cowboys at six ninety two? The, the Cowboys are okay. at six ninety two. Yeah. So 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 the the Yankees are now the most valuable sports franchise in the world. Cowboys, as you mentioned, six nine two, right behind them. The the next four baseball teams in the top five: uh, the Red Sox, just over five billion; the Dodgers at four point eight; the Cubs at four point four. And the San Francisco Giants at 3.7, Scott. So the lockout, at least at the top here, does not seem to have had any horrible effect on the valuation of these clubs. In fact, because you now have a a longer-term labor piece, sometimes this is uh, a a positive once you've signed these long deals, uh, what it means for valuations. Yeah, but what people need to realize, and people ask me this all the time, and this is people in the industry. They say, oh, how do you know, are you really throwing at a dartboard, right? How do you really know? I mean, Kurt is indefatigable. Like he must speak to 50 to 60 people for all of his valuations um, to, to get as close an estimate as we can possibly get to uh, sort of the revenues and the expenses. And th- then he applies his secret sauce. And we, by the way, publish our methodology. So if you really want to know how we do it, you can log on and check it out. I mean, it, it's right there uh, and it completely explained what we do and I don't think it's it's possible to do it any other way right now, Eben, is including related businesses to the sports teams. Like, would you really want to value the Yankees without the Yes Network? Because it's just, I mean, they're ancillary businesses. One goes with the other. And do you really want to talk about the Red Sox without Nesson and without all that real estate around Fenway Park? I mean, you have to include it. If you're going to buy one, you're probably going to buy the other. And I mean, I know uh, like any any uh, any skeptic would say, well, you know, the Mets were sold and SNY wasn't sold. Okay, but guess what? Steve Cohen wants SNY, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, may still get it. Yeah, and may still get it. They, they weren't. They weren't. No, they were not sold in tandem. Correct. However, they are ancillary businesses, and I think most in the industry would understand that if you own the Mets, you also want the, the broadcast network. So, average value: two point three one billion dollars, up five percent. Would have been higher. Except for, and I love it. What do we? What is our, our, our great guy uh, who we go to on the RSNs? What did he refer to him as? The, the melting, melting ice cube, melting glaciers. Yeah, melting <laughs> yeah, glaciers. Yeah. And and Kurt says, except for the erosion in RSN values, that would have been even higher. So again, you have to look at the ancillary businesses to judge the value of the individual franchises as well. And we're really getting to this point where it's always been true that some of these RSNs are worth a lot more than others, but we're, we're really starting to see this massive gap where Yes Network, as you mentioned, and the Yankees is, is a huge benefit, big long-term valuations boost uh, for the Yankees. And then you have teams like the Orioles, one of the few teams that actually dropped a bit in their, in their valuations from last year to this year. Uh, maybe some questions around the RSN and the valuations there. So there are some baseball teams for whom owning a significant portion 
portion of their local TV network uh, is a huge, huge benefit. And, and looking at the top, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Cubs, all part of that, all, all part of those groups. And then you have other teams lower down for whom their relationship with their local RSN and, and the disintegration potentially of that model really calls into question some of the some of the franchise valuation underpinnings uh, for those teams. Scott, one other thing I wanted to mention here because it stuck out to me, the Yankees, as we said, the, the most valuable sports franchise in the world, um, so so way more valuable than the, 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 the most valuable NBA team. But at the bottom of Major League Baseball, we have the, the Marlins just over $1 billion, significant, worth, worth significantly less than the least valuable NBA team. So the entirety of the NBA fits very well into the entirety uh, of Major League Baseball. Uh, so again, we have a lot of haves and, and we have a lot of have-nots across Major League Baseball. Yeah, you mentioned the Orioles were one team that went down 4%, Marlins the other down 5%. And- because we talk so much about the related businesses, our uh, friend of the program, Sam Kennedy, what does he always say about Fenway Sports Group? Go Platform. ahead, fill it in. Platform company, right? Yeah. So only two teams had related businesses worth more than $1 billion. Not shockingly, of course, we already mentioned the Yankees, but the Red Sox were the other. And the Yankees, by the way, is 26% of yes, 23% of legends. Uh, the Sox, 80% of Nesson, yeah, one of the profitable RSNs, and also the real estate holdings all around Fenway, which will be developed and you can bet will spit out uh, positive cash flow. But what's your guess, Eben, as we look three, five, seven, ten years down the line as to how many other entities, hello, Chicago Cubs, hello, LA Dodgers, will also view themselves as, as platform companies and uh, sort of create or acquire or morph into related businesses that will top $1 billion. I, I think it's going to be a, a lot more, Scott. I, I would look at, they're not in the top five here, but the Atlanta Braves, we, we had Derek Schiller on the show talking about all of the, the the development that they've had, all of the real estate they're doing around the, the new-ish uh, stadium down there uh, in Atlanta. Again, I think, as you said, put it very eloquently, all of these teams are realizing that the, the, the way to really boost this valuation, that saturation is maybe not the right word on the, on the sporting side, but there's a lot of ways in which you can own mixed-use retail. You can own housing around that, that, that you can benefit from and in a year-round way. The, the baseball season is long, but the Braves are not bringing in a pretty steady revenue stream during the offseason. And, and having real estate is an opportunity for the Braves to kind of keep those checks coming in in times when, when the Braves are not playing. Uh, there's obviously a lot of benefits here. Um, so b- baseball and, and, and certainly lends itself uh, well to that as well. So yes, I think we're going to be seeing, I would guess in the future, a lot of teams that are cracking that $1 billion mark. My question for you, Scott, is 5% uh, growth is, is, is pretty good, I think, for baseball right now. I wonder, do you, do you can see this continuing to grow? There's obviously some questions about baseball's long-term future. It's the demographic of its fan base. Um, I'm curious if you think that this this growth is going to continue, if, if there's maybe some concerns, particularly around the RSNs, that, that maybe show this growth slowing down at some point soon. I would say working in favor of Rob Manfred et al., the number of games, just the, the sheer size and volume and how much content that... Uh, people need baseball will be uh, in, in, in definitely a force in in content creation. Uh, global game that uh, also works in favor, and they've cracked the code. As you know, baseball has cracked the code on my focus group of one, and I think uh, you can't say it enough that no, he will not sit down and watch nine innings, and that's okay. 
No, he will not say to me 81 times, hey, can we get season tickets? Can we go to the game? Every now and then, on a random Saturday, hey, can we go to the Yankees? Can we go to the Mets? Can we go uh, here, there? If we're in a far, you know, we're in another town, like we would have gone to uh, the, I believe it's Phillies Marlins would have been opening, you know, but we were gone already. But that was something that we would have done. But he does play baseball and he does play MLB the show. It's 60 bucks on Xbox. He's already asked for 2022 version because he wants all the players on their right teams. And you know me, you know, I'm the cheap guy. I'm like, no, nah, you can play 2021. It doesn't matter. No, if you, know, if you can't have this guy on that team. It's not fair. You have to have the right teams. So I haven't given in yet. But the fact that he's asking and really wants it and knows every player and knows their batting stance and knows a whole bunch of facts about him that I would never know, that's, that's a big advantage. I mean, that is a huge advantage for baseball. And if I may, I mean, just one other fact, because I love when Kurt does this, so I like to pluck out like little factoids, that the $69 billion cube of all the team puts MLB outside the 200 largest publicly traded companies, hmm. but it's on par with, if you're looking, all right, so what does that mean? On par with Truist Financial and Canadian Pacific Railway. Mm. So just for fun, if you want to know what Would that I does, rather own Canadian yeah, exactly. Pacific Railway yeah, they, they, or, or all of Major League yeah. Baseball? That's a, that's a great question. Yeah, that's a great question. Which would you rather own? <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Lower down on the list, Scott, to, to, to shift topics a little bit here. Down at number 23, the Cincinnati Reds, $1.4 billion. Did you catch what 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 team president Phil Casolini, son of, of owner Bob Casolini, said about the Reds fan base uh, in advance of their opening day last week? Well, I, I believe, as you know, I was sort of uh, diverted attention. Uh, I may have been floating behind a boat for a while thinking <laughs> I was going to be going faster. But it, it was more or less like uh, clearly the fans were not thrilled with you know, the performance of the team. And and it was sort of a, well, where are you going to go? What are you, you, know, you going to do? Hmm. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I mean, he apologized. We should say right away he, he apologized. Um, yeah, but, k- kind of right. I mean, some of this, yeah. so I wrote down some of these things cause it, it was two interviews. One was what he gave to a local radio station and then at the ballpark kind of over the intercom at one point was interviewed again, uh, I think by MLB TV and kind of doubled down on it. You said it to, to fans who are maybe losing trust in their ownership. He said, where are you going to go? Uh, what would it take to make this team compete more and make more money? It would be picking it up and moving it to someplace else and be careful what you wish for. And then later on said, what are you going to abandon being a Reds fan? Um, pretty, I mean, I, I would imagine if I was a Reds fan, I wouldn't, I wouldn't love this, this idea that if you're a fan of the team, uh, you're probably going to stay a fan of the team. You're, you're totally at the mercy of whatever your ownership group decides to do from a spending standpoint, from a competitive balance standpoint, um, I think is pretty cynical. And I would imagine there are a lot of people who are upset by it. Of course. And be careful what you wish for. I'd say that the other way around, this is a new world order. Like you, yes, it was generational. Like your, your, you know, your, your grandfather, your grandmother, your mother, your father took you to the ballpark. So you became a fan of the team. You know, obviously uh, your area code and zip code had a lot to do with that. However, with technology, the way it is, and especially video games, as we talked about, and the fact that the players are the are the, the big important brands now, I know my son, again, he will follow players more than he will a team. And I know his pals are the same way. So if a Mookie Betts, if a Castellanos goes to a particular team, if a Trevor Story moves, just was that like Cincinnati to uh to Boston? Where was it? Where was Trevor Story? I think he was in me. Denver. Denver, whatever. <laughs> you know, whatever. He Maybe. knows, I don't. But he, but the fact is they're following the players. 
You know, they follow the players. That's their loyalty. And by the way, with technology, they can watch any team they want every game. In the old days, when I was a kid, there's a reason why the Atlanta Braves were really popular because they were on the Superstation. The, the Cubs and the Braves, I could watch them as a kid growing up. I felt like I would watch like Rick Mailer pitch both ends of a doubleheader all the time. And I grew up watching the Braves. So I sort of, yes, I, I went to Yankee Stadium with my dad. Yes, my first game was Reggie Jackson hitting three home runs in the 1977 World Series Game 6. Sorry, Stan Kasten. But that's, that's only part of it these days. It's not just where you go. It's who you can watch regularly, who you can follow. You pick your team. That's a big deal to kids. So I think I think since the uh, and management better be better be careful about the new world order of how fans can follow teams and pick teams. And, and to bring this back to the money thing, obviously, to, to being able to sign a player like a Mookie Betts costs a lot of money. The, the Reds have have not been good for a long time. I don't think they've won a, a playoff series in almost a decade. Um, and and it is I, I think it's kind of fits into the the broader conversation that you and I had a lot around the lockout right now, which is that the spending in Major League Baseball is just so that the biggest teams, your your Dodgers, your Mets, are spending upwards of 250, 60, or sorry, 300, or, yeah, sorry, 250, 260, 280 million dollars on their payroll. The Reds are spending opening day payroll 113 million dollars. If the Reds doubled their payroll, spent twice as much on players as they did right now, they would still be 60 million dollars below what the what what the National League rival Dodgers are spending it just seems as though there's this this massive competitive imbalance that's happening right now and and while i partially understand it it's 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 annoying for fans to 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 root for a team that cannot will not is never going to spend as much as the teams that are almost guaranteed to advance deep into the playoffs and as a result are going to be very happy winning 70 games spending more than less than half of what the Dodgers are spending. It ends up being a kind of a profitable business I'm sure the Castellinis are, are happy with, with where that nets out, but it does really feel like it's bad for the fans. And that is something that baseball, I don't think fixed in this round of CBA negotiations. And I don't even know what the solution is, but, but it does seem as though this is a story that probably could play out in 20 cities across major league baseball where fans are getting increasingly frustrated by the fact that owners are not spending to the degree that it takes to win. And owners are sitting there saying, economically, the, the economics of baseball don't set up for me to spend to, to compete with the Dodgers. Eh, I, I see it across many sports. You know, if I'm going to the EPL, I'm in the bottom half. I'm never I'm not competing with Chelsea. I'm not competing with Liverpool and Arsenal. It's a different Man City. It's a different game at the top level. Well, sure, sure but in, in, here. in the U.S., all the other leagues have salary caps, yeah, right, it, and, it, and salary it, floors, yeah. and, and there's a, there's at least some kind of built-in ability for someone like, like, spending, like Mike way, Brown at the Bengals to compete with someone like Jerry Jones. What at the do you Cowboys. think the Tampa Rays would do with a hundred and thirteen million dollar payroll? It's a great uh, question. It's a sometimes great. Sometimes you need to be a little bit better. Sorry, but it but it's the truth. And also, by the way, you're in the entertainment business. Entertainment doesn't always mean winning. And I would I would argue you want people to come, you want people to support and pay. Give me and besides the baseball, what are you doing to make your in-person experience great for the fans? Yeah. I have not been to a game in Cincinnati. But you remember years ago, Evan, I did a, I did a column on uh, me declaring myself a free agent I do. fan. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it just hit me one day that all oh, these players, I'm a free agent, I'm going into free agency, I'm opting out. So I sent a letter to every single 
big four at the time pro sports team. In it, I declared myself a free agent fan, and I asked each team to let me know why they should win my heart. Why should they get my devotion and my dollars is, is I believe, how I phrased it. And all right, it's been a while since I, I wrote this. So in the big four, there are, what, 120 plus teams, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I really don't remember the exact number, but I can tell you this. This I know for sure. Less than 10 responded. All right. Less, less than 10 responded. And I think that is sort of like the attitude that these these businesses, these teams have with fans, that it's sort of a God given right that they will be there and they will spend and they will support instead of having to work for it. And I will tell you one franchise and one person in particular, and why is the best in the business, Mr. Raymond Ritter over the Golden State Warriors. You know, he read the letter. And I mean, what did they do? They sent me a jersey with my name on it. They sent me a contract uh, with a dollar bill taped to it to be the number one fan of the Golden State Warriors. They sent me a book um, with like sort of my face superimposed with the players. They sent me a highlight video of the, the players and management addressing me as to why I should pick the Golden State Warriors, explaining what they stood for, not only excellence on the floor. And back then, I'm not even sure they were all that excellent, but what more, more importantly, what they stood for away from basketball as an organization. I mean, it just went above and beyond. It yeah. showed that they got it right. It's not an accident. The Warriors are where they are. And I gave that opportunity to every darn team in, the, in pro sports, and almost all of them chose not to even make a case. Another thing that, that feels kind of particularly unseemly about, about what Phil Casolini is saying here is that, you know, he, he's essentially saying, well, what are fans going to do? They're not going to move to another city. They're not going to root for a team in another city. But sure what, happens, what happens when every professional team wants more money, more local public money, to, to, to build a new stadium or to renovate their own stadium, they threaten to move. It, it, it also feels just a little bit gross that, 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 that an executive and the owner's son, no less, someone who might very well be the, the, the principal owner at some point in the future of, of the Cincinnati Reds is essentially saying, hey, you, you, you guys don't have the choice to move, but professional sports teams all over in every sport very often threaten to move to get the hundreds of millions of dollars in taxpayer money that they want. It just feels like that is also a an imbalance that he is voicing uh, that, that would frustrate me a lot if I was a fan. Yeah. And once something's in, everybody wants it. Let's look at case, you know, like, you know, the Haslam's probably got some side-eyed look at the NFL owners meetings because every other top tier quarterback is going to say, I want to fully guarantee, look at those years, look at that, that number. Yeah. They want that. What is every, what is every owner who needs or wants a new facility going to point to now? It's going to point to Buffalo. The Buffalo Bill. That's exactly what they're going to point to and say $850 million in public subsidy from Buffalo. If Buffalo can do it, you can do it. If not, I may have to look elsewhere. You hit it. You hit it right on that. And, and to that point, I, I don't know if you saw this. You, you, you were down in, in um, on vacation. The it looks like the Baltimore Orioles and the Baltimore Ravens are going to get six hundred yep. million dollars yep. each yep. Uh, to, to renovate their buildings in exchange for a long term lease to stay. Uh, and I and I can't remember who this was, but I saw someone write on Twitter that no one has ever said that they would love to go to an Orioles game if only Camden Yards was a little bit nicer. Uh, so so it is clear that you know we've talked a, a bit about. Uh, a bit about how it seems in some cities, like people are coming up to the idea that maybe we shouldn't give hundreds of million dollars to the, to the local professional franchise. But 
Baltimore and Buffalo are two good examples that it is not it is not fully adopted quite yet, that, that maybe this is not the best use of public money. All right. Can I do my public service help right now? Here's my public service Please. announcement. Uh, you've been to Camden Yards, right? I have. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go back to my first trip, low those many, many years ago. And one of my trips to Camden, by the way, was the Cal Ripken game where he broke the record September 6th, my birthday. Ooh, how about yes. that? So that's how I remember that. Yep. Um, but here is my public service for anybody who has not been to Camden Yards and is going to go meet somebody. Uh, when they tell you to please meet at Utah Street, don't walk around the stadium 12 times looking for U-T-A-H, U-T-A-H. Utah Street. <laughs> E-U-T-A-W, Utah, not Utah, U-T-A-H. So there is my public service announcement. And we went a little long on, the, on awesome. the valuations. Yeah, but we do. We're, we're talking about owners and things they want. We need to talk about Dan Snyder. Yeah. Um, down yeah, 95 I mean, a little bit from Baltimore to, yeah, uh, to, yeah, to just, Washington. Just, just down a little bit. And by the way, also looking for a new stadium. But the headlines, uh, they, they keep coming out on on the commanders and whether or not they inappropriately kept some ticket revenue. And then on top of that, they didn't you know, they didn't return deposit money to to uh, to ticket holders. Um, not great. But again, Evan, you and I have discussed this. Uh, from a dollars and cents standpoint, whatever this could amount to, $3 million, $5 million, $10, 10 million, whatever, it doesn't seem to make sense to me to jeopardize, especially with the audits that are, that are done on all of these teams. I just don't get it. I mean, I know these, these are allegations or some former employees, and it, it certainly doesn't look or sound great for Dan Snyder and, and the commanders, but I got to tell you, it just really head scratching to me that if this is the case um, to, to the risk reward analysis here just doesn't seem to make any sense. I'll, I'll dive into the news real quick here. A letter sent from an oversight committee in Congress to the FTC laying out uh, some uh, alleged or so some evidence, including uh, interviews with former employees, documents and emails that this committee saw essentially saying that, that, that the, 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 the accusing the Washington commanders of two main things, and, and you said them briefly right there, Scott, I'll add a little bit more context to them. One being uh, essentially keeping ticket refunds away from fans. The the, the documents, I believe, said there were more than 2,000 uh, Washington Commanders fans who were owed more than $5 million in refunds that the team never gave to them. Uh, and then the second thing being withholding ticket sale revenue from the NFL and its revenue sharing which essentially amounted to money that the team was getting for, 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 for tickets to NFL games. They were putting them on the books as money that was paid for a Kenny Chesney concert or for a Notre Dame Navy college football game. And, and those would be two examples of events where the money the team makes doesn't need to be shared with all the other owners, whereas money that comes for an NFL game does. Uh, so, so the accusation there is that they were shifting money from the NFL ticket revenue pile to non-NFL pile so that they could keep more of it. You're right, Scott, in that it does, certainly does not seem as though they were profiting tens of millions of dollars from either of these schemes, right? It's it's $5 million of, of refunds. Alleged, allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. Um, $5 million of refunds from from 15 years ago, and then you know $100,000 for various NFL games bouncing around to, to, to non-sharing with the NFL owners. Um, but there's there's certainly a lot of compelling evidence here. I, I don't believe the team has commented 
too, too specifically on this specific letter from Congress to the FTC. They have certainly denied in the past that there were financial shenanigans going on. Nothing in this letter, to my knowledge, to my read, Scott, directly has uh, Dan Snyder asking the team to do this or directing team employees to do this. So again, it's, it's very unclear, even in the allegations, how much Congress believes Dan knew or was directing himself. But as you said at the beginning, it, it comes into the broader context of an NFL owner that has been embattled for a while for the workplace culture. There have been number of investigations led by the hired by the team, hired by the NFL into allegations of sexual misconduct and harassment within the uh, Washington franchise. And this just layers on top of that in a way that just can't be good for Dan in any capacity. All right. And for those following the Chelsea sale, by the way, bids do uh, on Thursday. So I guess I can say today when this airs, Josh Harris, Todd Bowley, Steve Pelluca, Tom Ricketts, that is a murderer's row of potential owners. And boy, from what I'm told, and I, and I, and I speak to all of them, man, they, they, they all want this thing. They, they want Chelsea uh, badly. And it's, it's not just going to be dollars. It's, uh, as we've heard, who's going to make the best steward for the franchise. Very interesting. The number that, that that more than four billion seems to be the number that that a lot of these bids are are coming yeah. in at right now. To just to tie it back to the beginning of the conversation, if Chelsea sold for four billion, it would essentially be the the fifth most valuable team in Major League Baseball. Just to kind of put that uh, in context, at least uh, at, at least right now. But Scott, the, the, this process happened very quickly at the start. Now seems to be slowing down at least a little bit. In, in your estimation, from the people you've talked to. Are, are we a week away? Are we a month away from having a new Chelsea owner? What do you think the time frame is here? I don't want to put an exact timetable, but I would tell you everyone who thinks it'll be just you know, a snap the finger. Okay, this is here the four. I'm going to make our decision based on highest number. No, it's a complicated transaction. As you know, lots of partners, lots of partnerships uh, involved here. So I don't think we're going to drag on for months. Um, so I guess that would be sooner rather than later. Um, but I can tell you that th there are there are bid processes that go on where, all right, there's some slight disappointment or parts weren't really in it. That is not the case here. That these 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 folks want this team, and uh, you're talking about global game. You're talking about a dominant brand uh, in in the most uh, watched sport in the world. So they see a really good opportunity here. Anyway, he is Edmund Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick back from vacation on Twitter at Soshnick. Thank you very much to our producer, Matt Whitehurst. Does great stuff. Our social, uh, no, no, not social, our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you can find the show at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. 